WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week we're talking with Rich Dweck, a writer who's got two series launching in the next two weeks. First up, this Wednesday, May 22nd, he's got Road of Bones, a bleak tale of escape from a Russian gulag in the 1950s. Then next week, May 29th, he's got The Wailing Blade, a post-apocalyptic tale of survival and rebellion featuring a big, hulking, skull-faced dude with a giant sword that screams with the souls of its victims. In a word, it is metal. That's from Comics Tribe. Uh, and our warm-up interview this week is with returning guest Stuart Moore. Stuart's uh, writing Bronze Age Bookie uh, right now from Ahoy Comics, a melting pot of 1970s genre fiction and history and tropes and apes and Martians and cocaine and kung fu. And uh, it's great. It's just great. Uh, in his spare time, he also adapts comics for novels, and his adaptation of the Dark Phoenix Saga hits bookshops this week, uh, just in time for that movie that's coming out. Meanwhile, what is going on over at WMQComics.com? It's a busy week! It's Solicits Week! Uh, so we're just starting to crack open August's comics to suck out the juices inside. Uh, we're also going to have a ton of awesome original content coming to the site. We've picked our second X-Man of the week. It is Mr. Sinister, the glamest X-Men villain. Uh, Joshua Bermont has taken upon himself the arduous task of reading the original Image comics and uh, reevaluating them as an adult in 2019. Uh, this week on Wednesday Warriors, Will Nevin is giving out advice, tackling those tough fandom questions humanity has been grappling with since the first caveman looked at another caveman's cave drawings and decided it was appropriate to throw poop at them. That's historical record, kids. Uh, so please visit WMQ Comics and uh, check out all this goodness. Uh, also, if you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WMQ Comics because follower number 600 is getting two passes to Garden State Comic Fest uh, at the end of June in Marstown, New Jersey. Uh, that's enough for now. Let's get to our guests. Here are me and Matt and Stuart and Rich. But uh, we're really here with uh, Stuart Moore, our first repeat creator guest. Wow, I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in, in addition to that, uh, we are just about like two weeks out from the two weeks past the release of Bronze Age Boogie, uh, your second series with the Hoy, which is less than a year old. It's already on season two. How do you feel from your perspective? How do you feel yeah. like things have been going in this first year? Oh, it's been phenomenal. It's been more than we could have expected. Um, the uh, the critical response um, has been much... Actually, the, the reviews I've gotten on Bronze Age Boogie are the best reviews I've ever gotten on anything, which... Uh, um, so it's been uh, it's been really nice to get the uh, such a good reception to uh, Bronze Age Boogie because um, I knew I liked it and I knew I uh, I knew I um, and and I knew the artists had done a beautiful job but I wasn't sure if people were gonna quite get it like it's 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 such a sort of a weird combination of elements and people really seem to people really seem to be responding. Nice. The, um, one of my favorite gags in that issue I think it's it's like the double page spread at the opening. The uh, lovingly rendered pink obelisk in the upper right-hand <laughs> corner. Uh, how, how many passes did you and Albert go through, or uh, Alberto Ponticelli go through on, on that one? <laughs> uh, one. Um, he's uh, he's just not brilliant. He just gets it. It's uh, it's not just an obelisk. It's a jewel that yes. will become very very important as the story goes along. It actually has that. The plot of this book is so complicated. I can barely keep it straight. Like I have to. I have all these notes, and I'm, but I'm pretty sure. 90% of it makes sense. Uh, maybe 
maybe 80%, uh, but somewhere in there. 75 is the threshold for yeah. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, that's like all the, you need. The, the, picture you see in every crime movie, the serial killer with like, you have the, the, the lines leading off. Right. Well, well, one nice thing is we're, we're um, the book itself is a, it's a, it's hopefully a modern, it's hopefully a very modern book, but it's a pastiche of 1970s comics as well. And a lot of 1970s comics and films really don't make a lot of sense. So there's actually kind of a, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways I can cheat this, you know, like it's a, it's a little less rigorous than in some ways. Um, even though I, I think it all falls together. I, I hope so. Uh, and it's uh, uh, six issues? Six issues, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, DC's July solicit just came out, in which they announced uh, you are adapting uh, Batman Nightwalker. Batman Nightwalker, yes. yes. From the novel by Marie Lu. Yeah, um, yeah and that's, um, that's part of the new uh, DC Inc. line, yes. um, aimed at young adults. And it's... Um, that's a... Uh, that's a really nice book. It's a, it's a story of um, Bruce Wayne, and it literally starts on his 18th birthday. So he's just inheriting the fortune. He's not yet Batman, um, but he is kind of Batman. You know? uh, and uh, and it's, uh, Marie did a really nice job of, uh, of introduce, like setting up a whole world for him that feels very different from Gotham, because that treads on some of the same uh, territory. Um, and the artist by a guy named Chris Wildgoose, who's done a bunch of little projects at DC, and it's beautiful. Like I, I can't overstate that. It's just gorgeous. I'm, I've read the novel. Uh-huh. As will surprise none of the people who listen to our podcast regularly, <laughs> Batman is my jam. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, we talked to you last time. You had talked about doing the Dark Phoenix novel, which, yes. was, which was adapting comic into novel. Yes. What's the difference in the procedure of adapting novel into comic? Yeah, and those, that's also about to come out. That's coming out in about two weeks. Um, the uh, uh, yeah, it's very different. Um, and uh, the the big difference you usually have, the big problem you usually have doing this sort of adaptation is just the sheer amount of space. Because in comics, you're usually stressed for space. That was less of a problem with Nightwalker than usual, because it's a short novel, and we had 180 pages to play with in the graphic novel. So. I, I didn't have to. Most of the most of the alterations I made in that were for um, just for the needs of the visual medium, rather than just having to cut it. Um, and there weren't many. Um, the uh, uh, Dark Phoenix was a little different because that's a very sprawling series that ran over uh, more than a year in the X Men, and I had to boil it down. And also at a time when comics weren't even collected into trades so it wasn't thought of as a unit like it was a it was sort of like full of spaghetti strand plots that would come out all over the place as the x-men was particularly famous for that yes. um, so I had to sort of boil it down give it a little more shape and I also had to think about the fact that it was written 40 years ago and it's thought of as um, an early feminist um, work within comics but feminism has changed a lot and the way we look at these things has changed so without being too spoilery about it like I, I had to sort of, and I also really wanted to get um, more inside Jean Grey's head, um, which you have a lot more room to do in a in a novel. A novel to also tends to have a much more contained viewpoint. You're usually within one character's head at a time, where especially in comics, that period you dip in and out of people's minds through thought balloons pretty quickly. So that there was a real narrative challenge there in a lot of ways, and uh, it was tricky. But I think I think we pulled it together. With the novel, do you have do you have more room to sort of add when you're adapting graphic novel to novel because you know the space is not you know right. at a premium? Do you have more freedom to to add plot points or 
usually. Um, and I, what I try to do there, too, is flesh out character and character motivations and things like that. Um, I did quite a bit of that when I did the Civil War novel. Um, on the other hand, I also wrote the novelization of John Carter, the movie. And there I had a very short word count to work with. So, and that movie was just packed with stuff. In fact, it was, I think, part of the reason it wasn't better received was because they edited it too tightly. Like, there's just a lot of very, very cool stuff in there um, that didn't get didn't get the chance to play out at its natural length. Um, so that was a challenge to, because I just had a very short space to, uh, so it can work both ways, really. So, so that's a novel adapting a movie adapting that is a novel. adapting a novel. Yes, yes. Dude, play the dude, trying to be Exactly. It's the Russian doll of... And they put it in, uh, when they published it, they, they put the original Edgar Rice Burroughs novel in the back. So it's a weird package, like I'm competing with the original going through there. <laughs> but they're so different, it almost didn't, you know, didn't matter. Uh, uh, that was your uh, travel from uh, upstate New York, correct? Uh, well, no, I live in Brooklyn, actually. Oh, okay, okay. But my mother lives in central Jersey, so I just combined it with a trip to see her. I stopped over there last night and drove down, and I managed to time everything so I didn't hit very much rain. Um, which was a trick <laughs> the last yeah, couple was, of days. Was so, yeah. was like Yesterday was yeah. weird. Yeah. A tornado touched down a few miles from my house. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. Where's that? Um, Where? I live 10 minutes from here. Okay. I, yeah. live, I live in uh, Merchantville. Wow. And the uh, shop right where the Joanne Fabrics was right next to where my wife was going to get these the shirts make these snazzy WMQ shirts. She went and she's like, oh, well, they're closed. And the guys wander around, like, gathering the shopping carts. She's like, yeah, there's a tornado in the parking lot for Jesus. a little bit. Like, well, oh, my. Wow, ShopRite and Joanne Fabrics, you are making me homesick for New Jersey. <laughs> you really are. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Born and bred. Yep. No, I grew up, I grew up out here. But I, I've lived in Brooklyn all my adult life, so not too far. Uh, no, what, what is your con schedule like this spring? Uh, I don't, uh, I, I'm going to San Diego. Um, that's the only one I have locked down, actually. Um, I'm, well, I'll be at New York Con. It's local yeah. for me. Um, probably Baltimore again. I like Baltimore. Um, but I don't have too much in the spring before that. Okay. I just got to get work done. Yeah, <laughs> no, I hear you. <laughs> the Ahoy stuff has gotten like, I, I write for Ahoy, but I also do some freelance publishing operations work for them and that's gotten more complicated since Ahoy picked up the book Second Coming yeah. um, with, uh, which everyone's really excited about but uh, but it's created it's all this it's, it's, it's when uh, Mark and Richard uh, first you know sought the rights back from DC there were like a number of, of people uh, of our field were all like it's going to end up in Ahoy yeah. <laughs> just wait a few weeks we, yeah. thought, we thought we were being so sneaky yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was announced and Dan got uh, a message from me and from one of our other writers like hold it yeah <laughs> well Ahoy already uh, we, uh, Ahoy had already published a few short pieces by Mark right. and I've known him and uh, and we have another they have another series by him that was already yeah. in the works that hasn't been announced yet so uh, okay. so yeah it seemed like if, if you were gonna if you were willing to do High Heaven then this was a logical yeah it, it, it fits into the line in an almost eerie way like it's a, it's so totally in the, on the in the wheelhouse of what Roy is doing plus Mark was just nominated for an Eisner for Snagglepuss yes yeah 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 no he's an amazingly talented guy he's a really sweet guy too yeah yeah so, uh, what, do, what do, you, do you drive straight back after the show? Or? No, no, I'm going back to see my mother again. <laughs> I'll, I've got the car for a few days. I'll go back sometime tomorrow. Yeah. It's a, I, I'm going to take it a little slow. You know, it's 
good. That's good. Enjoy yourself. Thank uh, you. Well, Stuart, thank you for stopping by the show, coming on. Thank again. you. I hope you have a great, uh, great class. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you. You guys too. Thanks for having me. WNQA. So, Rich, we always like to start by asking our guests, uh, what comics do you remember reading when you first got into the medium? Uh, okay, let's see. I mean, when I really first started reading comics, I was pretty young, so mm -hmm. I'd buy stuff off, uh, like, at the candy store newsstand. But I remember reading um, Incredible Hulk a lot. Um, I remember reading uh, G.I. Joe and Transformers. I would pick that up a lot, like the original, like, Marvel series. Um, when they were out, um, read a lot of Spider-Man, a lot of X-Men. And, like, on the DC side of things, I was always into Batman, but I think, kind of feel like I got into that, like, a little bit later. Mm -hmm. um, like, I would, I would buy, like, Batman and Superman stuff, but, like, I don't know, I was, for, for some reason, I was, like, a Marvel kid. I was always attracted to, like... Uh, like those books, like I loved like Ghost Rider, um, like I said, Spider-Man, X-Men, all that stuff. Um, so that was when I was a kid. And then like, uh, kind of like, I guess, maybe like towards the end of high school, beginning of college, I kind of fell out of reading comics regularly. Mm -hmm. um, and then... I got back into them probably in like my early twenties. And I think with that's with like that kind of thing, I was really, uh, what got me back into them was uh, trans metropolitan mm -hmm. and, uh, and Sandman and the invisibles. Those were like kind of like the big, big three. And then just, I think like from there, I just started kind of exploring more of like, um, like independent comics and like not necessarily like superhero stuff. Yeah, I, de I definitely think Transmet is probably the thing that kept me reading comics in college because, you know, it's difficult, especially if you go away to school, like finding a new shop and, and you know, mm -hmm. if you have transportation to to uh, get there on a regular basis, you know, we didn't all have the luxury of working at the comic shop that was across the street from our college. Matt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, it was funny because that's like what it was. Like I was away school there wasn't really like one that was super convenient mm -hmm. and i'm from new york so in like new york has has quite a few so it was kind of like when i uh came back from being away and uh was living at home again and kind of like going back to the old comic store they used to go to like uh it's kind of funny as I, I uh i was into um at that point in my life i was way more into like uh gaming Mm -hmm. Then I was comics, so mm -hmm. I was really into like uh, Warhammer, right? You know, like the little miniatures, sure game, right? Mm -hmm. So at the time, Forbidden Planet used to carry Warhammer stuff. So every now and then, and I'd be like shopping for something rather than just going to like a, a gaming store. I would just go to Forbidden Planet, and like up on they had like a, a the space that they were in at the time had like a loft on the second floor that had like gaming stuff. So I'd like just be up there, and then I would come down, kind of like look around at like. You know, like they had like all these like toys and models and and comics and stuff, and then like Transmet was just like I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like it's such. I mean, it, it's got like like arresting like visuals, but also just like the name like Transmetropolitan. And I was like, I was like, this looks interesting. Like, let me let me see what this is about. And I just sort of like was like leafing through it, and I was like, okay, well. I guess I'm reading this whole thing now. <laughs> I bought like, like all the collections up to that point, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it just like went from there. So, um, yeah. 
Awesome. Uh, well, you've got a big couple of weeks coming up. Uh, you've got two books coming out, Road of Bones from IDW and uh, Wailing Blade from Comics Tribe. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, give us give us kind of the elevator pitch for each, you know, before we kind of dive into each of them separately. Okay, uh, sure. So Road of Bones is um, it's a horror story. It's set in the uh, Siberian Gulag. There's a guy who's uh, been sentenced to like 20 years hard labor there and... Um, Things are very grim, so he gets a chance to uh, escape. Like a couple of prisoners uh, at, let him in on their their escape plan, uh, but uh, he he soon learns that they may have like sinister plans for him, and he has a uh, it's kind of like a supernatural being that you know may or may not be real. Like it might be an actual supernatural thing. It might just sort of be him going a little uh, crazy from. Uh, living in Siberia uh, that, you know, he thinks is helping him, but again, not kind of, kind of not sure. So uh, Road of Bones is just basically about uh, whether this guy Roman is going to uh, survive his, uh, his escape because he's, he's fleeing the gulag into like probably one of the deadliest places on earth, like nature wise. So, uh, so that's that. Um, Wailing Blade is, um, kind of very different from that it, it's a it's a sci-fi epic um we kind of like uh <clears throat> you know we go through these like x meets x like a lot of different things with the one the one that we're currently using is uh game of thrones meets mad max because <laughs> it's kind of got this like uh the world that it's in is like uh it's almost like post 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 apocalypse we're talking like thousands of years in the future after like mankind has been to the stars and back again and this like galactic civilization has collapsed so now you've got this feudal society with uh where like the last remnants of technology from this empire are basically what gives you the power um or not so you've got a lot of these like warlords kind of like hoarding uh different pieces of technology and one of the um guys that works for one of these uh, tyrants is this guy named the head taker who's like this deadly executioner and then uh on the other on the other side you've got um you know rebels and bandits and we have this one group uh, called the wind cleavers uh, led by this guy named tyken and tyken he's very like young and brash and uh he uh commits an error in like uh leading this raid that winds up uh, getting his father captured and sentenced to execution by the head taker who is going to wield the wailing blade, uh, which is this uh, technological sword, like this like huge uh, sword that uh, he chops people's heads off with. So the series is basically about uh, Tyken. Uh, he's determined to save his father from execution. And, um, you know, whether that happens or not, that's the story. How did the uh, how did the timing work out for these two books? Uh, you know, were you writing them both at the same time? Is one of them been kind of a slower mm-hmm. burn? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, I think like Wailing Blade has been on like on my plate for like a while. Um, I had been uh, started working on it with the artist uh, Joe Mulvey mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago. Um, it, I had like uh, tried to get it off the ground. A, couple of times before with like a couple of different artists but uh didn't work out 
Um, but you know, kind of like blessing in disguise because I feel like Joe kind of, uh, did an amazing job with like the visuals and stuff. And I'm really, really happy to be working with him. So, um, but yeah, so that's kind of been on my, on like a project of mine for a while, but that was kind of on the back burner because it was just kind of kept running into issues. Road of Bones is a lot newer idea for me. Um, it came together fairly quickly. Like I, I, uh, had, I was pitching it like, uh, got like a package together with the artists and everything was showing it around like uh towards the beginning of last year and um it got picked up over the summer and then like we just sort of rolled right into um right into producing it um it's kind of funny like i i i like like if you had asked me like in like let's say like december of last year like when all this stuff was coming out like i i would have thought like i would have been like well, Wailing Blade will probably be more towards the beginning of the year. Road of Bones will be probably more towards the summer. Like, I thought it was going to kind of be, like, more one after the other. But then just the way things worked out, like, talking to the two different publishers, you know, like, they were like, we want to do this, you know, we want to do it for now. And, like, idea was like, we want to launch in May. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> you know? um, so, yeah, so it just sort of happened that uh, they wound up coming out, like, within a week of each other. But... Um, but yeah, it's 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 cool because I don't think it's like um, I don't think they really kind of step on each other a lot, you know. Like it's not like I'm putting out like you know two two books of like the same stripe that are like that like they're very very different books. So I don't I don't think like um, I, I think like you could uh, buy both of them and and you're not going to be like uh, feel like I'm treading uh, over the same ground over and over again. No, it is very much not a uh, deep impact Armageddon scenario. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, how did how did these books, you know, find their homes? Like, you know, what makes one a good fit for Comic Stride versus versus IDW versus another publisher? Mm -hmm. Well, they both have kind of like different stories. Uh, I mean, similar and different. Similar mm -hmm. in that I I showed them to everyone who would look. <laughs> and I guess the big difference is sort of like, you know, who said yes. And if we're talking about why, I think like a lot of the places that passed on Wailing Blade probably did so because it is like kind of like a big epic story. There's like a lot of characters. There's a lot of, um, you know, kind of roads that could go down like, 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 um, I pitched it as like just a self-contained series, but, you know, I tried to make it really clear that this is like a passion project for me and Joe. And it's something that I think like, uh, given the time and, uh, and money, like we could, we could just keep going with it. Like we could, we could, um, just make stories in it for years. And I think that's probably a little bit scary for a publisher for someone like me, because I really, I only had like one book out before this, you know, it sold well, but like, I'm not like, you know, uh, a proven like safe bet or, or whatever you want to call it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think like Wailing Blade is kind of like, seems like more of like a risk for the publisher. Uh, but one great thing about Comics Tribe is that it's like, it's a pretty small publisher and very tight knit. And, uh, you know, I've known uh, Tyler, the publisher, 
for years and uh he loved the idea of whaling blade and like uh and joe's also done stuff with comic stride before so he was on board and like i think the great thing about being with comic stride is that it's like you know yeah like whaling blade takes a bit to sell but like um maybe like a little bit of a tougher sell than road of bones but like since comic stride just puts out whaling blade and wrote and uh this other book called sink it's like we've got like all their focus on it like you know it's all about willing blade all about you know sync but it's very like um you know we have like really a lot of uh involvement like from them so like as to why idw picked up uh road of bones as opposed to another publisher i think like it's it's a fairly like self-contained short story it's got you know um it's got some horror elements uh i mean it it is a horror book and i think one of the things that um attracted idw to it is that they they do have like a pretty long history of like putting out like great horror books like their first big book was 30 days of night you know they've had lock and key they've had um a bunch of other stuff that like you know um steve niles has done with them like uh frankenstein alive alive um a lot of great books so i think they they kind of do have that um tradition as our publishers i think that's part of like what what drew them to drew them to it um you know like i can't say like why like one publisher didn't like another i heard like um uh it's kind of funny uh nothing against them but like dark horse actually like got back to me and they were like you know we kind of feel like this is a little too bleak and i was like i mean it's too dark for dark horse like you know (laughs) (laughs) what are you guys doing (laughs) because they were another publisher i thought of because they have a lot of other great horror books too Mm -hmm. and you know it just turned out that like this one just wasn't the right one for them which is fine um but yeah i think like probably why road of bones is like an easier sell to some of like the larger publisher like idw is just the fact that it's really kind of like like self-contained and really like easily explainable like like whaling blade like if i want to explain whaling blade to somebody i have to go into you know like i just said like i was like oh it's the future and then this you know this happened in the future and this happened you know like there's a lot of explaining uh in order to like kind of like see what you're getting like what you're reading uh whereas like with road of bones it's like yeah so gulag prison escape you know it, it's it's like boom a lot quicker <laughs> so i think like from their end they're like okay well we know how to like promote this we know how to sell this we know how to you know get people interested in this so i think that's that would be my guess you you did so, make the uh the the, the game what was that game of thrones meets mad max comparison <laughs> uh, earlier on do you, you know do you feel like that's a little bit maybe too uh, kind of trite's not the word, word i want to use but you know using that shorthand of kind of comparing it to mm-hmm. other media you know would you rather give i guess the longer version of the elevator pitch or you know there's also well you know game of thrones is ending people need you know something to yeah. fill that hole in their heart right now i think it's kind of like a, a two-step process like like mm-hmm. i would I would love to go go into it like as much as people let me, but at the same time, I understand that like not everybody uh, is interested enough uh, in me 
<laughs> or, you know, like maybe the book to kind of like, um, let me launch into like, you know, a two to five minute spiel about like what it's about. So mm -hmm. I think it's kind of useful to have that shorthand just for the people who are like, you know, it's like, cause it's not game of Thrones and it's not Mad Max and it's, you know, it's not even really game of Thrones meets Mad Max. Like, like if you were like to like take all three and like put them down together, you wouldn't be like, okay, well, I, this part is from game of Thrones and this part is from Mad Max. It doesn't, it's not like that. Mm -hmm. What it's, what I'm trying to say with that is it's more like, if you like game of Thrones, I think you'll like this. If you like Mad Max, I think you'll like this. If you like, Masters of the Universe, if you like Thundar the Barbarian, if you like, uh, I'm like, that's like a deep cut from like the 80s, but yeah. it was one of my favorite cartoons <laughs> oh. uh, growing up. So, and a lot of that is kind of in Willing Blade's DNA. But like, I'm just saying, it's like, I kind of want the, it's useful to like kind of know these things because it's like, it's like you said, it's it, it's, it's just like shorthand. It's just like saying like, hey, if, if you dug this, you know, there might be something that you, you enjoy in this book so i think it's yeah it's kind of useful like to have both kind of in my arsenal so it's like you know if, if i say that's uh, like mad max meets game of thrones and you're like yeah tell me more it's like happy to tell you more you know um but uh, you know the flips flip side somebody could be like i hate game of thrones and i hate mad max even more so <laughs> it's like okay well you know i don't want to waste your time <laughs> be on your way <laughs> um so so getting into road of bones uh you know you're dealing in both russian history and and russian folklore uh did you spend a lot of time kind of researching uh you know that stuff before you put pen to paper yeah i did um it's like uh I mean, I got the idea for Road of Bones, or I, I was just kind of, um, I was just researching, like, prison escapes in general. Like, I, I kind of uh, felt like I, I wanted to do some kind of story um, involving, like, a prison escape. And it's just sort of like, the more I read about these stories about the gulag, the more I was like, you know, I, I think this is, like, a good setting, like, just for the story. Like, like you know, because normally I'm, I'm like like a fantasy sci-fi writer mostly. So when I, when I do historical research, it's more like, uh, okay, well, what can I take from this experience from this period and sort of translate it into this like made up uh, fantasy world that I'm, I'm creating, you know what I mean? Uh, but the more I thought about it, the more I was just like, I was like, you know, like some of this stuff like really happened and, it, and it's really dramatic. And I'm really surprised, you know, as far as I know, just nobody sort of like mind it for like stories so i was like maybe maybe i don't need to transpose this stuff into a fantasy world maybe this is kind of interesting enough on its own and the more i the more i read and the more i more i added to it the more i felt like yeah this kind of doesn't need this is like crazy enough like it, it doesn't need uh you know kind of that like layer of uh like separation that I would normally kind of do if I if I was um, you know going to be kind of using that for as the inspiration for like something in like a fantasy world or or a science fiction world, you know like like uh, I mean it could have been like uh, I could have researched the Gulag and then like uh, said oh yeah there's a prison planet Gulag 
17, you know, <laughs> orbiting, whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, like that's pretty easy to do. Or, or like, you know, there's like some fantasy, like uh prison colony or something. But I was like, I was like, it doesn't need that. I was like, this is like really like crazy stuff because the more I was reading, it, it's, it's just that sort of thing where you're like the stories of, of like stuff that happened there is just so crazy or almost like it almost sounds like fiction, you know, but it, it, it's reality. Brutal reality. I mean, the the the, yeah. go, the stories of the gulags are just ugh. yeah. You know, I mean, like first three pages of Road of Bones. Uh, you know, there's like a prisoner who can't work anymore, and you know they're digging a road, and he winds up getting buried in the road, and that really happened. That there is a real Road of Bones. It's called the Colima Highway, and uh, they're digging it out of like frozen tundra. And when people died, they were, it was just too much extra labor to, like, dig the frozen ground uh, to dig graves for them. So they just, like, paved them over. So it's like, which is really fucking crazy and really, really gruesome. But, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, was part of the inspiration behind it. It, it. It's not like the Gulag seen him up as most wanted kids. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's no singing, dancing Danny Trejo here. Um, <laughs> no, definitely not. But, uh, you know, uh, this book is already, IDW announced, I think it was last week, it's already going back for a second printing, the first issue. That's That's got to feel great. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, um, I, 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 I'm like, I don't know if it's like superstitious or something, but I don't really like to ask like how my books are doing, like before, like, because there's nothing I can really do about it. You know, it's like, I do the best I can and it either, it either works or it doesn't. So I'm always just like, just like, don't like, I'm like, you know, it's like, if it, if it, if it turns out to be bad news, like I'm just going to be disappointed. So it's like, I might as well like put off that disappointment for a couple of months until the numbers come out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so I didn't even ask. I wasn't like, I wasn't like, how are we doing? You know, like stuff like that. And then, uh, ideally just, uh, Bobby, my editor, emailed me that um, there was like a company-wide email about like all the stuff that uh, was sold out and going to second printings, and I wrote a bunch of them, and I was like amazed, like thrilled, like because um, this is um, I, I never never had that before. This is like you know for the first time I'm getting a second printing on anything I ever wrote, which is it's a pretty good feeling, you know. Absolutely, it's a, it's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of getting, getting back into the history a little bit. Uh, your your previous uh, Gutter Magic from 2016, which yep, which was a great book. I, I oh, it was funny, you. yeah. That I we keep notes for these, and Dan had I, and your name had been familiar. And I just hadn't. I've been busy and hadn't had the time to dig, and it was like Gutter Magic. I was like I remember this was the 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 caper in the alternate history with the magic and with the. The Wizards mm-hmm. in World War Two. I love that book. Oh, awesome! That, um, that's really nice to hear, because you know, it's like again, like, uh, like uh, it was a while ago. You know, comics like moves really, really fast. So it's like, uh, you know, it's almost kind of like two years is almost like ancient history. But like, I, I love hearing from from fans that uh, Doug Gunner magic and. 
it's actually going to be coming back. So um, Great. Not, keep your eye out like later yeah. this year. The, the benefit of having worked in the comic shop for all those years is I read all sorts of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah, but did you guys like have a question about it or? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, just, you know, I'm happy to just leave it at you guys loved it. So, <laughs> it like uh, you're going to ask something about it. Uh, why tempt fate? No, uh, I, I was going to, I was going to ask, you know, so now like gutter magic set during world war two, you've got road of bones, which is like the early 1950s. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was just kind of curious, you know, this is all kind of concentrated in one kind of specific period. I was wondering, you know, what what is it about the kind of the history of this particular period that speaks to you and makes it, you know, inviting settings for tales of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, magic and such. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not really sure. I think like part of it is just that like, you know, it it, it was like before I was born like you know way before i was born but but close enough in history that like it's a period of time i'd always hear kind of like stories about like um and i don't just mean like on like tv or something like you know like sitting with like my grandparents or something like mm-hmm. grandfather's in the navy during world war Two. you know my grandmother was like here but she was like um very involved with like um i don't know exactly what they called it but th- there was sort of like um this like um uh core of people who like you know like they they would like help run like the air raid drills and things like that you know like just like supporting the war effort um i don't know if, if the organization had a name or something but i know that like a lot of women were involved in it because like they were they were here while you know their husbands were off like fighting so i'd hear like stories from him about like being in the war and stories from her about like what it was like at home like during the same period and also you know like after that and and before that too you know like um my my grandfather uh was born in russia and 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 like made the journey to america like around the turn of the century when he was like four years old so you hear stories about that and and i think that's part of like what what it is for me is is it's like it's not like like you know some of it is stuff that like i've read in like history books but i also kind of had this stuff like told to me like when I was like young and and that just sort of I think something about like that tradition of like oral like storytelling is like something that really like sticks with you like when you're like a certain age like when you're developing you know mm-hmm. like uh, just sort of like hearing a story and realizing like you know oh this really happened and this is like somebody i can ask questions about and, and you know i can i can ask them a question and they'll tell me like about like what what was really going on you know as opposed to like reading it in a book where you know you can ask questions or like if you're taking a class you can ask questions and stuff but you know nobody that was alive during um the french revolution is alive today so you know you're sort of like relying on on um written accounts and it's just sort of like a different feeling and i wouldn't say that like that period is like my favorite period in history or the one i'm like most interested in but i think mm-hmm. there is just something kind of like special about it just sort of because i you know had that had those interactions of like you know people who were alive like during that time 
Is there uh, is, no, is there another period to be interested in exploring? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I really been interested lately in like the Roman Empire and like like ancient Greece and stuff like that. Um, might do something along those lines. Uh, you know, some of the stuff I'm also interested in is just like mythology in general. So, um, you know, there's a one book I'm like kind of working on that has to deal with like a lot of uh, the different like ideas of like the afterlife throughout like the whole like ancient world and like how they kind of interact together. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, it's like almost like you could almost like name like a period and, and I'll find something like interesting there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, yeah, I like history a lot. I like, you know, reading and like kind of reading, you know, both fictional stories like set in, uh, other times and also like just sort of learning about the facts as we know them. <laughs> I mean, those are ones you, those are ones you're thinking of working in. Do you have a particular favorite other than that the ancient Greek and Roman world? Just something you enjoy reading about? No, I would say yeah, probably like that's probably my favorite is like ancient Greece, Rome, and uh, also. Um, like Norse mythology. I, I think that's like my other kind of fave, which is, you know, not shocking. A lot of people mm. like that, <laughs> like those periods. But um, like, I, I love like, um, like the Iliad is like one of my uh, favorite books that like I'll, I'll come back to reading over and over again. But I also like, that's like, you know, like long term, I guess like, like, um, more like kind of like near term i like uh like 50s stories a lot like kind of like later 50s like post-war um you know almost as like kind of like rockabilly uh (laughs) or like kind of greaser kind of stories um like i like that that time period and you know i think there's a lot of kind of interesting stuff going on there i think like for me yeah it's like if i like think about like it's a period of time like it's really kind of like once i find like something to like hook on to like I, I like to read a lot about it well um yeah so let's move on to the wailing blade uh sure. the uh it looks like joe went all out on the uh, design for the head taker uh i love it mm-hmm. uh how many how many drafts do you recall you know that particular character going through before you know you guys were like yeah we've nailed this yeah there were a lot um i want to say probably like maybe three or four rounds but then like each round had like maybe you know like anywhere between five to twelve designs to it Mm -hmm. so like we really went through a lot of them and like we also kind of did did things like um not separately but like you know like so like Joe would do a lot of designs of like the costume and then he would do like a bunch of masks and then a bunch of swords and like, we would just sort of like pick which ones we liked or like, maybe like, Oh, I like, I like this shoulder piece, but this, uh, you know, chest plate or, or whatever it was. Um, but like, and, and it was also like also a lot of variation between like, um, you know, some were like way more technological, some were way more, um, 
primitive, you know, and it, it was just kind of like about striking a balance with like what we we're trying to show with the character. So like, you know, we wanted to show like um, that he's a part of this like kind of uh, like, I guess for lack of a better word, like a, like a technological class, like, you know, like this like ruling class that like controls technology, but like, but he's also part of this really harsh world where like, you know, if a piece of his equipment breaks, there's not a lot of people who know how to fix it. So like, um, so a lot of his stuff is kind of like strapped together or like stitched back together. Um, you know, he, he's like the guy who, does a lot of traveling so he's got to look like you know kind of like travel worn like you know the you got to look but he's also this executioner so it's like above and beyond like whatever he can do he's got to look like kind of like terrifying you know like he's got to kind of like look the part of like when he's standing in the middle of town like you know his job is to basically inspire fear so it's got to he's got to look fearsome you know, so there's a lot of kind of like back and forth with like, you know, what um, what what was going to work and what wasn't like, you know, like we had a few like like we really I think we really kind of like once we settled on the, the skull mask, like we really uh, like that. But then there were like a ton of other different like mask designs that just, you know, didn't make the cut. And some of them were like, you know, completely blank faces. Some of them were like um, looked more like. um like a knight's helmet or something like that, you know? So yeah, it was just like a process, but like, like you said, like he, Joe blew it out with that, but he also blew it out with like everything in the book. Like I, I was, I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, you know, like if he had like kind of come to me, if like the pages had come back and the trees just looked like normal trees, I, I wouldn't have said a word, you know, cause that's like normal to me. But like he, went and he was like he was like i had this idea for the trees i wanted them to be like kind of like twisted and like almost like they were like fighting to grow and, and like so they would like come up all like gnarled and like bumpy and stuff and i was like i was like yeah dude that sounds awesome go for it <laughs> you know <laughs> like he's like designing the insects and designing the you know the blades of grass and things like that and it's just like kind of he just like kind of took things to a level that's like you know almost insane but in a really good way you know what i mean <laughs> um and like it, it just felt great because it felt like um you know kind of like seeing this because knowing that like i put a lot of thought into like how i was seeing the world and just knowing that joe is putting just as much thought into rendering it i think that's part of why like as a collaborator i, I think like we work like really really well together because we both like really really you know, care about this. And, and I, it's not, I'm not like bullshitting when I say like, you know, I feel like it's ours now, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I came up with, I came up with the pitch or, uh, you know, like I pitched it to him and, you know, at that point it was my idea, but like now after we've worked on it, now it's like our idea. Like, like he's added a lot to the world and to the mythology and like things that he wants to do. And they're all like great. And like, uh, so it's really kind of like, it's like ours now. Like, I don't think we could really separate it out. That, that, that's good. You've both raised this baby together through many sleepless nights. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, 
a little bit more about the sword because it is it is big and sharp and scary and badass and it almost has like like horns on the end of it and it has its own sound effects uh you know when you guys were were kind of talking about how you want the look and and feel of this blade to be you know did you guys have kind of like uh reference ideas you know um kind mm-hmm. of swords from from other you know, media that you were like, you know, like this, but more brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, like that was like one part of the process of just sort of like gathering like a bunch of like reference materials. So I think like for the sword, we were looking at like a lot of stuff from like anime, like, like, or anime inspired stuff. Like final fantasy has a lot of like big swords. (laughs) Berserk has a really big sword. Um, I was also, we were also looking at a lot of stuff from uh, like Warhammer 40,000, like that universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like Warhammer 40,000 is like a lot of, you know, like technological, like power swords and like things like that. Um, would like, uh, yeah, basically it's like a, a lot of like Google image searches of big sword. Uh, and then sort of like taking what looked cool but you know it's like once you had the design down like that was one thing and then like and then we really had to talk to the other uh members of our team like jules uh chris sotomayor and uh taylor esposito because they were part of like making you know giving the sword like the look and feel they wanted to like you know soto like we were just talking about like what parts were going to be glowing and what parts what parts weren't. Um, uh, you know, what color is it going to glow? Like, you know, is there like kind of a scheme behind it? Um, and then for Taylor, like we were just like, you know, we really need like an iconic sound effect. The book's called Wailing Blade. Hmm. The blade wails, and it's like <laughs> it's got to have like you know, we're like you know, like like the ideal thing was like you know we're like uh you know once you're used to it like we would love to just sort of like be able to put it in in a panel with no art and have everyone know like what it is you know what i mean Mm -hmm. kind of like when if you see like a black panel that says snicked on it you know somewhere wolverine's popping his claws you see bamf you know you know nightcrawler's like on his way in or out you know so Mm -hmm. It's like uh, I think that's kind of like what our um, what our goal was with it, and I think you know Taylor did a really great job of like uh, I thought he did like this really cool thing where um, you know we're just sort of thinking like you know at certain points it's going to be at different volumes, right? So like when when it's being held still, you know it's probably like a very low kind of like uh, you know like wailing whereas like then when he's like swinging it around it gets more and more intense so it's like uh so there's this one part where he's like holding it getting ready to uh swing it and it's just like a really tiny like not tiny but like it's like a very small like e and it's kind of like tucked into the blade and i just thought that was like so smart because like it makes me feel like it's like you know kind of like pretty close and contained like it's like a straight line and then when you start swinging it around, like it just like gets like the word, like the I, like the the wailing part of it just gets like bigger and like you know, changing 
shape and stuff. So, and you really kind of get a feel for it, like, you know, getting louder and getting, you know, um, screaming like over, over all the other stuff that's, that's going on. So I think that's like a huge part of it is just sort of like, like, uh, wailing blade, you know, but, but so you're talking about like a sound, but comic books is like not a medium that has sound. So how, you know, so how are you going to get that across in, um, on paper and, and, you know, lettering and sound effects is the answer. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, like, I remember looking at like, you know, that sort of low E along the blade, you know, mm-hmm. uh, before, you know, when it was, I guess at rest and I was just yeah. like, I remember looking at it and the first time, you know, cause it's first time reading, you know, you're kind of learning the, the visual shorthand of the world. It's like, is that part of the sword or is that a sound effect? And then when you start to see like, you know, it being swung around and actually, you know, do its job, you realize, you know, the letters are getting, are, are, are getting bigger. There's, you know, different mm-hmm. vowels and everything. Like I, I, I love the build of that. And I definitely, you know, one of the things I want to ask is to make sure whether that was, you know, uh, you know, the artist or the letter who gets the credit for that. So uh, props to, to Taylor for, for, you know, building that in. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah, it's a great definitely. double take moment when you realize that that's not glyphs on the blade, but the actual failing <laughs> right. of the blade. Yeah, uh, it, you know, it, overall, I mean, the book is 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 brutal in sort of the positive metal sense of of the term. <laughs> you know, right. I, I, again, talking about how these are very different books. You know, Road of Bones is, is violent, but it's violent that's grounded in in the realistic brutality of men. It's bleak. Where, where mm-hmm. Wailing Blade just makes me want to put on prongs, snap your fingers, snap your neck. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? Like, uh, we definitely listened to a lot of metal, uh, like, when I was writing the scripts. And, I mean, like, we even made, like, a metal theme song to it. Uh, I have a friend, my friend George O'Connor. He's, uh-huh. a, he's another uh, he's a, another comic book writer. Uh, but he's also in a metal band. And one of the things he does is, like, kind of custom metal songs. So I, I like just emailed him one day and I was like, Hey man, um, I have this book Wailing Blade and it's pretty metal. How do you feel about doing a theme song? And he was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he, it's, and it's a really freaking metal song. It's like, like I put it on a playlist with like a bunch of, with like Slayer and Anthrax and stuff. And it fits right in, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's, it's definitely like, it's hard hitting. And, uh, and it's like totally like perfect for the book. Um, yeah, there's just something about like, like you said, like the violence in World Blade. It's it's like very kind of like um, you know a little bit like over the top, like you know Conan barbarian style, like you know heads are flying everywhere, <laughs> like, people are getting decapitated. Oh, you know? like, it, it harkens for me to one of my favorite comics that has those moments of Kirkman's invincible where it's like, okay, nice little superhero moment. Oh shit. That guy just got his entire top of his head punched off. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any favorite of those sort of sword and sorcery, sword and sandals kind of comics? I mean, you just mentioned Conan, which I can Mm -hmm. see some of the influence there, but is there, are there other books in that genre that kind of went into the DNA of Wailing Blade? Uh, well, Conan was a big one. I have like a huge, I have like a short box full of like old, like Savage Sword of Conan from like, like the magazine size book from 
from the seventies. That's like, you know, something I, I love. Like I, I, I love Conan, like, um, uh, like the, the actual, like Robert E. Howard stories, but I also like really love the comics. Um, Elric is another like sword and sorcery hero that I think got a lot of like, uh, DNA in there, you know, Stormbringer is a, is a sword that has a lot of personality has been known to, uh, wail every now and then maybe, I don't know. Keen, I think was the, the word he used. Uh, but Elric is definitely like, you know, like, uh, there's just like stuff about that world, like, um, that I think really made it into the DNA of, um, willing late. I mean, and there have been some like great Elric comics too, like, um, uh, past few years. Um, let me think of what else, because there's got to be a couple more that are escaping me. Didn't P. Craig Russell do an Elric adaptation? That was. Yeah, I think there was one by like Avatar Press. I want to say. I don't know. It was a few yeah. years ago, but but I remember liking that quite a bit um but yeah like um there's also i guess this isn't like a comic but there are these um there's this series of um science fiction um stories called the dying earth by uh, jack vance that um really played like like that that was kind of like jack vance he Basically, uh, he passed away, I think, like, in 2011 or so, and I heard that, and I was like, oh, you know, I want to go back and, and read those stories, so, like, I read them, and that was really kind of, like, the inciting incident for, like, uh, you know, like, Wailing Blade. Like, it was really, like, what got me thinking, like, I would love to do a story set in this, like, far, far future where technology and magic are, you know, kind of blended a bit together, um, so that, that was like another, like big influence, um, Skull Kickers by, uh, mm-hmm. Jim, Zub. Jim Zub, Jim Zub, uh, that's another one, like, uh, Jim's, uh, that was like another series that had a lot of like, you know, kind of over the top action. That I, love. I don't think like Skull Kickers is like, kind of like a lot like the slapstick and stuff, but, uh. So I wouldn't say like the book's tones are that similar, but I would say like just kind of like that devotion to like just like really like dynamic like action scenes. Um, I think we definitely like uh, in the mix there. Um, some other good ones, Planet Hulk. Um, I thought it was like I'm, I'm just kind. Of, it's funny like I'm like kind of. I'm looking at my bookcase now just to <laughs> see what I have that like, you know, <laughs> kind of like fits the bill. So yeah, like Planet Hulk is a good one. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's kind of hard to say like, uh, you know, I got this from that or, you know, like really break it down, but it's just sort of like all this stuff kind of goes in my head and, you know, in the blender and <laughs> comes out. Uh, the other end when I'm writing. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. so you've got a lot of advertising in your background. Uh, you know, do you feel like that experience, you know, that your, your day job is, is kind of translated to your work in comics at all? 
Well, it helps when I have to write like uh, solicits or tweets <laughs> <laughs> about about uh, my work, or like if I'm writing like an email to uh, to retailers or something like uh, you know that definitely helps like like you know kind of the advertising thing of like knowing how to like uh, knowing how to sell something. Um, but I, I think like I think also just like um, you know. I get to write every day, you know, with the advertising stuff. And even though it's not like comic stuff or, you know, maybe it's not always exactly what I would like choose to be writing. If I had like 100% freedom, Mm -hmm. it's still just that kind of like discipline of um, just sort of like being able to sit down and start, you know, pumping stuff out whether i'm in the mood to do it whether i feel inspired whether i don't like you know like when you're at like a day job like uh and i have like a deadline the next day i can't be like yeah you know i I just wasn't feeling it like you know i was blocked so i you know i'm just gonna you know shit the bet on this assignment and uh you guys are gonna have to find somebody else to do it like that that doesn't fly like i'd be out of a job so i kind of have to find those ways to like access that part of me that that's like writing and being creative um like a lot quicker than you know i used to like when i when i would uh you know just sort of like uh, be writing as a hobby because like when you're writing as a hobby it's not that big a deal to say like uh, i don't i don't feel like it tonight i'm just gonna play video games instead or yeah, you know, I really want to write this, but uh, there's a new episode of Game of Thrones or, or whatever. I want to watch that. I'll watch that and then I'll write. But then when it's over, like, I'm too tired and I, and I go to bed, <laughs> you know. So it's like, so there's definitely something with, like, the discipline of, like, writing every day that, like, I think really helped, um, really helped me, like, in my comics writing. And also just sort of, you know, um, there's sort of, like, I guess like freedom in writing, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. You know what I mean? Cause like, you know, if I'm writing a comic or I'm writing like a book or, or like a fiction story, it, it kind of like, there's no like guardrails, you know, like if, if I want to write like some kind of like epic story that, you know, like Game of Thrones, let's say, mm-hmm. just to pick on, pick on Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, <laughs> a lot of people are saying, today. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying, like, like putting put the, putting the show aside, like, if you look at, at the books and, like, part of the reason why he hasn't, like, finished the books, I think, is because he's, like, there's just so much of that world and so much that he wants to get across that it's, like, he almost, like, he can't, like, stop. I'm talking about George R.R. R. Martin, you know, yeah. like, like, he's, like, he's just, like, writing these books and he's writing and he's, like, okay, well, you know, if you're going to understand this, I have to write this first. And, and, you know, I think that's, I don't think that he's, I think the delays, it's not that he's not working on it. I think it's just like, he keeps finding like more and more stuff to work on because he has this complete freedom to like, uh, you know, be creating the world, like as he sees fit. Whereas like when I'm writing for something on advertising, there's a lot of like boxes that I have to put myself in. You know what I mean? Like, like I have to like write about, I used to, um, one of my older clients was, I used to work for Snickers. So it's like, I'm writing about candy bars. You know what I mean? And it's like, and it's got to say this and it's got to say that. And, you know, there's like a lot of these kind of constraints and, and like kind of like the, the good thing about that 
is that it forces you to like figure out a way to be creative, like in spite of all that, you know what I mean? So it's like, there's nothing particularly interesting about a Snickers bar. It's like, you know, it's a chocolate bar, tastes great. Okay, fine. Right. But there's nothing about it. That's like, you know, you know, you're not going to like drop a Snickers bar, uh, give everyone in the UN Snickers bar and suddenly have like world peace. You know what I mean? There's nothing like sort of like profound about it. So it's like, you, you kind of have to like find interesting things to say about it. And it's, it's hard because Snickers bars have been around for like, you know, 40, 50 years. And there've been a lot of ad campaigns about Snickers and you don't want to repeat something that somebody's already done. So, you know, you kind of have to like, like sort of like being constrained in that certain way just sort of makes you really kind of push for ways to, to be creative, like mm-hmm. under those constraints and, and just sort of like that, like building, you're, you're almost building this kind of like mental muscle memory of like how to, how to be creative and kind of think your way out of tight spots. Like when you're writing, you know, like I don't write like, you know, my output isn't like huge, like every single day, but I'm very rarely blocked, mm-hmm. like writer's block, you know, I'm very rarely like, uh, it's very rare where I'll go more than like a day of being like, I don't know what the fuck to do here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, and it's not because I'm so great. It's just, it's because I just sort of have this, um, like, um, process that I use in advertising where it's like, you know, okay, well, what if we do this? And what if we try that? And what, you know, like, you know, it's just sort of like trying different things, knowing that like, if I have like 20 ideas, like, like 15 of them are going to be terrible. Four of them are going to be okay. And then one of them is going to be like the one, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it's just sort of like, I think like kind of like a different, approach at least that I used to use like to writing where it was just sort of like you know you just kind of have to like keep pushing and pushing and pushing and then when you when you're pushing and nothing's moving it's like well what do I do now you know so yeah I think there are definitely like a lot of things that like uh you know translate over like from that from that job that just really helped help me like just as a writer in general and sometimes they intersect uh did i see your company was involved in the dc snickers ads right <laughs> yes <laughs> we were involved every every dc ad that you hate uh for a candy bar <laughs> my, my old company was involved in like those twix ones with nick lachey that everyone was pissed off about we did that the uh, snickers one with uh, with Superman and Doomsday, where people were confused because they thought it was part of the Superman comic, <laughs> I greenlit that one. I I didn't. Hey. I, didn't I was uh, I created. I was helping like with the creative direction. I didn't draw it. Didn't write the dialogue, but like I approved the story and like all that stuff. Um, I, I didn't know. I had no uh, choice as to like where it ran. I didn't know where it was going to run or anything. So not my fault that people were confused, but my fault, not, not even my fault that the ad exists. <laughs> but what I did do was I tried to, 
as a comics fan, I tried to make it as like, you know, painless as possible. <laughs> so, you know, kind of making sure there was a good artist, making sure that it at least made a little bit of sense. You know, it's like, it's advertising. So, uh, you know, that, that's like certain, nobody really wants to read advertising, but, you know, you do what you can. But, but you know, someday, yeah. like... <laughs> That they will be read at the end of podcasts as stings, like the right. hostess ads from the seventies uh-huh. are read at the end of episodes yeah. of Tighten Up the Defense. So. <laughs> That's what it is. You're cre- you're creating the modern day hostess ads. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, and, uh, and if people are confused, like, they have brown gutters. <laughs> or like. Uh, Demolition Man, right? Like the jingles or like the <laughs> the, the pop songs. You remember that movie? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean it's like like I said, I was like I I I, the, I was just like cracking up like reading like the article like on Bleeding Cool about like how people were like really annoyed because <laughs> I was like I was like, is this my fault? I was like, I was like, no, you know, I was like, I didn't, I was like, I, I, I never told them to like put it in a comic that Superman was actually fighting Doomsday in. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it was meant to be like, uh, you know, you're reading Wonder Woman or something, and then all, of, you know, it's like, okay, well, obviously, you know, it was like Ivan Reese, completely different artist, but yeah, <laughs> but uh, so you know, I apologize to anybody that was legit pissed off but i just i just thought it was pretty funny like i got i got a kick out of uh reading the articles and reading all the comments (laughs) that's actually that's the the most i've ever been taken out of a comic by an ad it was uh the issue of mr miracle where barda gives birth to jacob and you Mm -hmm. know there's this tense moment in the hospital I, i forget whether the umbilical cord was wrapped around him or he just wasn't breathing right away uh and and you know it doesn't there's like a page, you know, it's, it's a clear page turn moment. You turn the page, double page, white spread of of Andy Cooper drawn, no, Jim Lee drawn Superman standing there. Bendis is coming! <laughs> this is not the right spot for this. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I'm excited about Bendis, but... <laughs> yeah. I think that Marvel, at one point in the late 90s, early aughts, stuck these four-chapter Spider-Man Mysterio or something. It was both a mini-comic and an ad, and it was in the middle of every Marvel comic. And I remember numerous times, I was like, what the hell is going on? Oh, right, it's that damn whatever it is again was it, was, it, was it for like subway maybe i want to say it, that might have been that sounds about right it was something that ridiculous yeah. it was all right so it was the mid 90s so it was either like pizza hut stridex or combos <laughs> <laughs> oh or uh, th- this is tangentially related but it is still one of the funnier moments I've had with a comic in recent years um, with in my case, in this case, a misprint where mm-hmm. I'm reading an issue of X-Force the the, re, the current version and I get six pages in and there's this scene where you know the evil general of Transia is looking at a suit of armor and I turn the page and suddenly it's like huh, 
this is a cafe. This is a diner somewhere. Are we flashing back to him remembering his time, and then he's like, <laughs> "Wait, no, no, that's Bucky. When did <laughs> Bucky get in this? Oh, this is the somehow they put the middle of an issue of Winter Soldier was." Printed and stapled into the middle of this issue of X Force. This oh is not the same comic at all. I oh was so confused for those couple of pages where the two people are talking in the diner and then Bucky shows up. It's like, wait, <laughs> what? That's not right. <laughs> and it wasn't even like it wasn't a widespread thing because my copy was, you know, perfectly fine. <laughs> Every copy that my store got had. Uh, there were 12 pages of X-Force and 20 pages of Winter Soldier in that and every copy they had. That's weird. confusing. That's really weird. <sighs> oh, man. I well, can't uh, really begin to like, wonder what happened there. <laughs> got me. Just a goofy misprint. Um, so, so, Rich, as we're, as we're wrapping up... Uh, Actually, wait a minute. Uh, do you have any store signings or, or uh, you know, cons coming up to promote these books? Yeah, actually, I have a few uh, few store signings. Um, uh, this week uh, on the fifteenth, we're going to be signing. Uh, Joe and I are going to be at Larry's Comics in um, Newburyport, Massachusetts. Um, Larry is uh, a big uh, Kickstarter backer, so he's actually got the books kind of early so this is kind of like a little early release party for people around there if you want to check out the book he's got like his own uh variant his own store variant cover um yeah so we're just kind of doing that as like a little uh, early thing but uh, then coming up um towards the end of the month um on the 29th we'll be at uh comic book jones in staten island um, and then uh, the following Sunday, which is June 2nd, we'll be at Third Eye Comics uh, in, uh, in Maryland. And then uh, the week of, uh, I believe it's the 15th. It, it'll be on my like uh, social media so people can check. But uh, like I think uh, on the, on the, on the uh, 15th, we'll be in Jersey and Eastside Mags in Montclair. And then somewhere in there, I, I think maybe on the, not the 29th, the week after, the first week of June, we're going to be at Forbidden Planet on Wednesday, Forbidden Planet in, in New York City. And I'm pretty sure that's all of them for now. Uh, but, you know, we, we may add a few more. Um, like when we, uh, when issue two comes around, things like that. But, uh, you know, so like we're mostly kind of keeping it local, like most of the stores are in, uh, New York, New Jersey area, uh, but taking a trip up to Mass, down to Maryland. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of funny because like it, it was just sort of like like we're we're doing most of the signings are like Wailing Blade focused because the books are like coming out like within two weeks of each other. Mm -hmm. So it's like I'll be there for like you know I'll be there like uh, you know kind of promoting both of them, but it's like you know. Like, uh, like just because the signing says Welling Blade, you know, I'll happily sign Road of Bones as well. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so th th those are basically like uh, the signings. Like, like I said, we may have some more like in June or July. And then uh, I'm also going to be 
definitely at New York Comic Con. Like I, uh, I'm still waiting to hear whether I'm going to actually have a table or not. But I, I, I did get my professional registration like uh, approved. So even if I, you know, I may have an artist alley table, I may not. But I'll definitely be there. And if I'm going to be there, then uh, we'll there'll be signings and things at like you know, Comic Stride booth, IDW booth. I'll be there all four days. So that's great. Um, uh, definitely hope to see yeah. you there. Um, mm -hmm. How can people follow you online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? Yeah, I love I love to be followed or you know friended uh, or whatever the, you know depending on where you are. But uh, so on Twitter and Instagram, both of them I'm at rduek, which is uh, just r d o u e k, um, and then Facebook. Uh, I uh, have a page. Uh, it's facebook.com slash gutter magic. Um, yeah, I set it up when I did gutter magic, but I, I kind of talk about pretty much everything there nowadays. But um, probably the place I'm most like active on is Twitter and trying to do Instagram a little bit more, a little bit harder when you're a writer. I don't always have an image, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, I can't post sketches and stuff like that. But uh, basically like when I get art from Joe or Alex or whoever, then I, you know, repost their stuff with like my own little comments on it. But, uh, but Twitter is where I do a lot of phoning, tell a lot of bad jokes. Um, so I would say like, that would probably be like, if you're, if you, if you do Twitter, uh, you know, look me up there. If you do Facebook, uh, just like the uh, Gutter Magic page, and you're gonna see pretty much everything I do. Very cool, uh, Rich. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I had a great time. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our first and foremost patron, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the MNT. You can follow WMQComics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Uh, finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. WMQA!